This episode was sponsored by HabibiCoin. HabibiCoin, the cryptocurrency of the future. Just kidding, this episode was not sponsored by HabibiCoin, nor do we have any affiliation with HabibiCoin. From my understanding, HabibiCoin is actually some scam cryptocurrency, so I do not recommend you buying it. However, if any of you would like to hear your sponsorships on our podcast, please do reach out. Assalamualaikum everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is the very first episode. It's a podcast where me and my friend Salah will talk about our lives as Muslims in the West. Hey guys, Assalamualaikum. My name is Salah. I've been living in the West pretty much my entire life. I have lived in the Middle East for seven years during high school, my teenage years, very formative years. But I'm back now and I'm excited to do this. And I am... Hashim, I actually grew up in the same city as Salah in a town called Waterloo in Canada. And now we both are living in California in the Bay Area. And we'll probably do future episodes that talk more about different aspects of our lives. But today we wanted to just focus on something that's kind of relevant to the situation. So Salah, how has life been so far? Week number five in quarantine. How are things going with you? It's been pretty surreal actually just seeing how communal it's been i mean usually when i've been grounded it's just been me but now it feels like everybody is i've been grounded a few times mostly when i've been caught reading way too late as a child so definitely not for the cool things so yeah it's been surreal how about you how is quarantine going with you yeah alhamdulillah it's actually been pretty good i think we're very fortunate to have jobs that are very minimally impacted by this whole coronavirus. I know a lot of people have been worried about getting laid off. We've sort of been sheltered from a lot of that. Whenever I do have problems, I feel very privileged, such that it feels wrong to even complain about them. Uh, You know, people are losing their jobs. One of my friends was talking to me about this person on Craigslist who was not able to buy a meal and they were starving. And they sent out an ad saying, hey, I need some help. So when you see that kind of a situation and and then you compare it to yours, you have no right to complain about anything. It's been really good for me. Like you said, the first couple of weeks when I was in Cali, it was a little bit more just me to myself. And then I have a roommate too, but he was also just quarantining. And so it was really nice when I finally came back here because I'm now at home. I'm with my parents. I hadn't seen them in a long time either. So it's nice to be able to spend time with them. And then also my sisters are back and So it's been really much better ever since I came here. Yeah, alhamdulillah, that's true about the job thing. Honestly, it's been surprisingly catastrophic considering, I mean, for a while now, everybody's been saying, oh, the new recession's coming. I mean, at this point, with all the information we have, every single part of society is like, oh yeah, there's going to be a recession pretty much every 10 years. And everybody's been waiting for that recession, but nobody was expecting it to get such a quick trigger. You know, there's certain moments in your life where you, when you recite certain eyes of the Quran, it's like, okay, yeah, I understand just the sheer power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has over our lives. But then it really struck me when I was in a meeting at work, it was like a company-wide all hands. And I started noticing all of these people that were legends, these people who are at the top of their industry, they're executives, they're earning millions of dollars, and they're seemingly untouchable, right? And all of them are at home and all of them are just sort of sitting there in their living rooms or whatever. And we're so fragile with this nanometer-sized virus. And 
that's just one of the millions of potential weapons in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's arsenal that if he wanted to punish us or if he wanted to show us we're really not in control, this is just a small thing. And so yeah, it really brought it's, it's, those those ayahs about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power and might back home because to see all of these like people who, who are so seemingly powerful in this life, you see what real power is like. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me of actually two things. One was the story about Namrud, about uh-huh. how... Uh, a mosquito or a fly is what what eventually got him. He believed that he was he had the power to give life and take it. You know, just by like he there was a story where there were two people and he spared one and killed the other. And he's like, "See, I am God because I can give life and take it." Right. And something as tiny as a mosquito is what killed him. And we say like, "Okay, that's kind of like a fringe situation." You know. Uh-huh. And then you look at this virus just the way you said it it's nanometers and it takes down everybody you know when we talk about the real financial impacts that a lot of families are seeing and Mm -hmm. in a lot of countries that were so insulated from i mean my dad was watching al jazeera today and Mm -hmm. it was talking about how people in sudan basically they're not getting stimulus checks they're not getting government funded quarantine they're not getting any any assistance they're like i don't have a choice i have a 10% of dying from this virus or like a 90% chance of dying from starvation if i don't work there's no social distancing in so many parts of the world not because they don't think the virus is real but they're like i have no choice whatsoever and it's so right. sad to see that i mean even even the people here who are suffering, and it's very real suffering, it's is so much more amplified in the parts of the world that we've been insulated from. Yeah, and not even parts of the world, but also even here in Canada and the United States, I was listening to an interview from AOC, and she was talking about how of the top 10 most impacted districts, five of those are from her area, like the area that she governs over. It should be noted uh, that AOC is from New York, which has like, a quarter of the world's cases for anybody who wasn't following the case count just as a heads up yeah that's that right that definitely exactly. factors into it i mean yeah that's part of it but also there's certain districts that are more affected in terms of just their lifestyle they have to still go to work and a lot of these people who are in the richer parts of new york i'm sure they can just cozy up it's funny because nancy pelosi had a video interview about and she's from california but she's talked about how she's living in this amazing mansion where and she has like this $10,000 fridge and she shows us her $50 pints of ice cream, you know, so there's people in New York who are living to that level. And then there's people in New York who are from the Bronx in AOC's district. And they're just like, okay, like get on this bus that's crowded with people because you have no other way of getting to work. And if you want to pay the next bill and you want to buy your, your food for the week, you're going to have to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've seen so many distressing images of people just crammed like sardines in the subway. They're wearing a surgical mask. And I'm like, at that point, man, I don't know if that's that's the right action to take at that point. So I kind of wanted to jump into a topic that's right around the corner, which is Ramadan. We're, what, five days, six days away from it now? And so I thought it'd be good to discuss just how that is looking like for you. You know, Ramadan in general is a very festive and very communal time. And so I wanted to get your thoughts about how it's going to look in the face of this pandemic. So 
last Ramadan was actually pretty good for me. Let me start off by saying that last Ramadan was the first Ramadan I'd had with my family or within a community in a very long time, two years actually. I was back in Waterloo. I wasn't in Nevada, like just isolated from everybody with a mosque that had like maybe 10 constituents. A lot of the habits that we try to develop during Ramadan, I actually held it up for like six, seven months after, which is for me, phenomenal. Usually after you're done Ramadan, like a lot of people, myself included, go months on end without opening a mushaf again, which is distressing. Absolutely. But in contrast, the Ramadan before it, I don't think I changed my lifestyle at all beyond just the rudimentary understanding of fasting. So for me, last Ramadan was huge. And for that reason, I'm excited because, again, I'm back in Waterloo. But I am a little surprised on how quickly it snuck up on me. But I am still excited because, again, Ramadan with the family... I think I'm super blessed and privileged to have that opportunity again. How about Absolutely. you, man? How you looking? Yeah, how you feeling I, about it? Yeah, I think I will echo the same sentiment as you in terms of being at home, being with family. That's a real blessing. I was planning on being home in the last 10 days as well because, you know, that's as much vacation as I probably can take right now. And it's always something special to spend a Ramadan with family. It's, you know, just night and day difference versus spending it alone, I I would say. So I'm really excited about that. The parts of it that will be challenging are not having a formal structure around it, especially not having that community feel of it, which is a big part of Ramadan, of course. And actually, I was curious, I talked to my coworkers about Ramadan, and they kind of don't get it, because what you focus on are more the rules. Most people are trying to understand sort of very mechanically what your life looks like. And I think the the idea that's lost on a lot of my coworkers and a lot of just non-Muslims in general is why is Ramadan this special month? So maybe you could explain to our listeners what the spirit of Ramadan is like and how it's so much more than just the mechanical nature of fasting. Right. So I guess in order to draw like a mainstream comparison, we look at some of the other religions. So if we were to look at Christianity with Lent or Christmas or Judaism's Hanukkah, all of these are singular days by and large, with the exception of Hanukkah, and some people fast like a week for Lent. So Ramadan is one of our only spiritually significant days. And the theory behind it is that in Ramadan, everybody's demons, essentially, they get chained up, they get tied up. So right off the bat, you're basically told, hey, man, this is your chance to just prove that you're inherently a good person. You have the chance to go forward and there's no one else to kind of pull you back. You now have this unrelented, everybody's going to be supporting you, the religion supporting you, the Muslim community supporting you. Anything you do now is going to be your true personality. That's kind of like the mindset behind that whole month. And the fact that you share that sentiment with a billion and a half people worldwide is amazing. I mean, it's it's basically the same as, as Christmas season, basically the entire month after Thanksgiving to Christmas. You know how everybody's always saying happy holidays and, you know, right. or, Merry Christmas and 
you know, everybody's giving you like an extra cookie or something at Tim Hortons, right, I don't, you right. know, whatever it is. I've, I've seen it firsthand back home in the Middle East where you go to a mosque and it's honestly the least privileged among us who's just sitting there all day, every day, every month at Maghrib giving out dates. It's not like the most privileged who can afford to like buy these high-end dates. Oh, yeah, it's just a sure. dude giving out like a bag of dates. He's like, here, man. You pray in Maghrib and, and the mosque, you get some, like, here, break your fast. Right, right. So that that's essentially the entire mentality about it. Like, a, a, get a blank slate. And that's why you can see a lot of women who, like, wear their hijab for the month of Ramadan. You'll see a lot of dudes who mm-hmm. might stop a lot of their very bad habits during Ramadan. Right. You know, for Muslims. I think, for me, Ramadan is this very blessed month. And whatever you do... The results of that are amplified. And we have moments like these in our lives. For example, if you excel during university and you're given the right opportunities, that could set you up for life in some ways. Similar to that, I think Ramadan is that opportunity to really just be on your absolute best behavior. Because if you're looking at like a a performance assessment for the entire year, a disproportionate amount of that is going to be focused on Ramadan because that's the most blessed time of the year. And so that really motivates Muslims to be on their absolute best behavior and sort of race towards doing good deeds. And it's like you mentioned that really heartwarming example of the poor people who um, offer you dates. I remember once I was in, in Medina during Ramadan, I was blessed enough to do that. And literally, we were just driving towards the masjid and people were just racing towards our car. They're like, take the dinner from me so that I get the blessing of you know having fed you dinner and having opened your fast. And so people are just kind of jumping over themselves to be the best human beings they absolutely can be. And that creates like this feeling of people have got my back and and you don't sort of uh, guess at what their intentions might be. And you in turn also want to provide as much value to society as you possibly can. And then obviously there's the communal aspect of it. Whether you're a drinking Muslim or you're the most religious Muslim in the world, you're all in there in that mosque for Taraweeh together, especially on the weekends or on the 27th night. So you really get to kind of connect with your community on a very meaningful level. Yeah. I know that you mentioned that communal point a few times. So I'm going to ask you how you think Ramadan is going to be like during this quarantine. What do you think the biggest point, the biggest sticking point is going to be? That's a great question. I was listening to a lecture by Yasser Qadi about this particular Ramadan during this COVID pandemic. And he was talking about how things in life can be the greatest blessing to some people and the greatest tribulation or the greatest difficulty to others. And the classic example he gave is money. Money can be the source of your uplifting or it could be the source of your demise, like we see in the story of Qarun. So I think this is really going to be a challenge, but it's also it, it could be turned towards a huge blessing. And the main difference I see between Ramadans of past and the Ramadan that we have coming up now is there's going to be a lot more personal accountability. And in Ramadan, you can kind of get away with, like, I'm just going to show up to the masjid and, and do my taraweeh, and things are kind of set up for you there. And... To a certain extent, you're just following along this this routine. It's kind of like you're going to school. You're, you're just attending your lectures. But all of a sudden, all of that is now gone. Like all of these support systems that you once had that kind of were allowing you to be to a certain extent on autopilot, 
shout out Tesla. <laughs> they <laughs> are they are now just gone. It's really down to you. For example, like going to Tarawi, you kind of feel this strong sense of guilt if you don't go. Some of us, some of us just leave right after the Aisha, you know. <laughs> I mean, the person, man, if they're doing donations, you got to do what you got to do. But all of a sudden, I think it's it's sort of now on to you. Like, if you want to just go to bed after I shat, then you can do that. And that's going to be one of the greatest challenges. How about for yourself? I think that one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people, both people who get the chance to work from home and those who don't, is going to be the test of free time. After you die, you get asked about five things, and four of those are your time. You know, that's like one is like, what have you done with your time, your youth, your life? So the idea is, time is 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 critical, even in the context of like even outside of Ramadan in Islam, time is one of the most valuable things, and it's probably because it's one of the things you just never get back. You know, I can like if I spend a thousand dollars, I can go make a thousand dollars. But you, if you spend an hour, that's that's an hour off when you die. You can't go back and make another hour. And in Ramadan especially, tying that in with a story of a man who, there were these two friends who basically lived together and they did everything together. And then one of them died as a shaheed. And then a year later, the second one died. And one of the sahaba, I don't remember who it was, one of the sahaba had a dream that the man who died the second year, not as a shaheed, went to heaven before the man who died as a shaheed. And he's like, what does this mean? And the prophet said, the second guy had an extra Ramadan. So mm. that just goes to show you the value of time in Ramadan. And we have so much time now. We're going to have so much time, whether you're working from home, whether you're not working, just the fact that you're not going to be spending, first of all, just by nature of not spending all day eating, which a lot of us have got fallen into the habit of doing during quarantine. You know, you're, you're bored for a second. You go check the fridge. You lower your yeah. standards. You check the fridge again. That kind of thing. You're now going to have so much more time after iftar because you're not going to be traveling to the masjid. You're not going to go visiting family. You're not going to do things like that. Like you said, you had that chance to be on autopilot. And that was such an easy way to fall out of bad habits and start building good ones. And now that test of time, like you said, it's either going to be a blessing for some people where they're going to be like, all right, sweet. That means I can finish the Quran twice instead of half of it. Or I can finish the Quran four times instead of once. Or I can pray Tarawih for as, as long as I want. Versus right. some people are going to be like, I have so much free time and I'm just going to spend it. Like I'm just going to waste it watching movies. I'm going to, I'm going to just watch Netflix until Iftar comes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray like, the minimum amount of tarawih required, and then I'm going to watch Netflix until it's suhoor. Or maybe even worse, especially with that lack of communal sense, like who knows what ability we're going to have to break out of these bad habits. I think that test of time is kind of be the biggest make it or break it yeah. type of thing for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. When you have a lot of time, really comes down to your discipline and what you're willing to do with that time. Yeah, for sure. W would you say that that's kind of what makes a good Ramadan? Like, what would you say your best Ramadan was and what was the contributing factor for that? 
I honestly think my best Ramadan yet was the summer that I was off school and I hadn't started work yet because I was with my entire family. Uh, this was like one of those moments where everyone just happened to be home. I think doing things as a family honestly makes Ramadan, you know, people always criticize cooking the most extravagant foods during Ramadan. And I understand where that's coming from. But also at the same time, I will say when I was a kid, iftar was the main thing for me for Ramadan. Like I would look forward to what my mom was going to make for that iftar with all the samosas and all of the most delicious foods. And it would be an event every single night. And through that, I actually built a very positive affiliation with this month. And of course, like now I have, I still have a positive affiliation for different reasons, but because I have such a strong attachment to this month through that experience, that's the only reason that I was able to continue going forward with it and trying to discover the other aspects of it. And so family contributes to it a lot. I think things like going to Tarawi together or going to Qiyam together, you know, once we actually drove all the way to Toronto just to hear this one sheikh that, that's really amazing. And that was one of the most memorable nights for me in Ramadan. You're really bonding with your family, but also you're, you're on this mission with them together and you realize the importance of it. And the significance of it. Yeah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. I definitely agree. There was yeah. that one Ramadan where I spent it alone. So for context, I had spent a year at that point working as like borderline a contractor, just working out of hotels in Nevada. And what that mm -hmm. meant in Reno, Nevada, which had one mosque in the entire city. This was when I was working at the Gigafactory. For those who don't know, that's a Tesla yeah. factory. Yeah. And what would happen is essentially a lot of times I'd have to break my fast in the factory. So I'd be working from 9 a.m. or whatever. I would take my lunch break as a nap in the car. And then 7.30 would roll around or 8 o'clock. And I would break my fast in the factory on like a burrito or something. Oh, man. That's the most depressing thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so I'm empathizing no, with you, bro. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. But yeah, it would it would basically be that um, day in and day out for weeks on end. I'd get home afterwards. I'd pray maghrib, and then I'd be like, "Okay, like Tarawih has already started. There's only five other people in the mosque. Like, do I really? I mean, I'm telling you, like during the last ten days, there were maybe twelve people in that mosque. I, I mean, like." I know that there's like a, a sizable Muslim population there because during Eid prayer, it was it was full. And during Jum'ah, you can't get parking. But in Tarawiyah, right. it's not a problem. I mean, no, no, to be fair, like there were about three rows full during the last 10 days. And the overall spirit of it was like, I mean, there's, there's no halal food in Nevada. So I either eat vegetarian or like chicken or something, which like in, you know, depend on what fatwa you follow is all right. But it was very limiting. It it didn't really open up a lot of opportunities for you to try to be the best that you could be in, in a lot of ways. You know, you didn't really have a structure to start following. There was no time to like read the Quran. Like you had to make a choice. Like, am I going to read the Quran today or am I going to go pray Tarawih? So comparatively to that, the Ramadan after where I was in Waterloo, back in Waterloo, that was probably the best I've had. Because it, I had the family back, the community was back. I had a lot more free time, so I had like eight hours a day before I thought, and I was like, "All right, what am I going to do?" 
like it's eight hours, man. This is a this is a full work day. Like, you know, you read a little bit of Quran and I'm like, all right, what next? Like, do I just take another nap? Like, what do I do? Do I just like hibernate through this? But I was able to like see a different family member every other day. You know, I was able to have my family push me to be better. I was able to see like even my little sisters start praying sunnah, you know, something like that. And these tiny things kind of added up to be like a secondary motivation for me or even a primary motivation, to be honest. So I would definitely say that what makes a good Ramadan would be for me is definitely community. Like that's, that's kind of when I really appreciated it the most was after I didn't have it, (laughs) I guess you could say. I think that ties in with something that we've been discussing earlier about how this could be potentially one of the Ramadans for the ages in terms of when we look back at our lives, let's say when we're super old and we say, which ones were my potentially best or worst Ramadans? This will stand out amongst that because as much as it sucks that we can't go to the mosque, we can't pray tarawih in in a large jama'at, at the same time, it's also one of those scenarios where you're kind of on permanent itikaf at home. Like you said, it's the test of time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. SubhanAllah. Um, Let me ask you, what tips do you have for people who might struggle with time, even like not having that communal backing? Definitely. And I think, by the way, I'm no productivity guru or anything like that. So I don't want people to get that idea. Don't worry. I don't think anybody who knows you will think you're a productivity (laughs) guru, bro. (laughs) Thanks, bro. (laughs) So I think... This is advice to myself more first and foremost before anyone else. I want to try to go into Ramadan with a certain set of goals that I want to hit. I, I set a few goals for myself, like memorizing a few surahs and things like that before Ramadan even began. And also like kind of upping my recitation to a certain level because, you know, you're, you're kind of rusty if you don't do it very regularly. One thing that I find really motivates me is setting really concrete goals. Like, okay, I want to get to this juz by the end of this day. And... Every day when I look at the spreadsheet, I'm like, oh man, I'm like half a just behind my goal. I need to like really pick it up. When you have those kinds of visual things that tell you how you're doing, those are really motivating. So one thing that I personally am going to try to do is really set some, not like too aggressive, but reasonable goals that compared to my past Ramadans and and accounting for the fact that I'll have a little bit more time, you know, goals around memorization, goals around recitation and goals around whatever good deeds that I can do. And, and, you know, of course, people have mentioned making a dua list and spending time with family. I think that that's one of the things that potentially could get neglected if you just focus on the very, you know, um, traditional sort of things that you think of when you think of Ramadan. How about yourself? What what are your tips for people? So one thing that I know that I really adhere to, like I'm, I'm a procrastinator. So if I just had a goal of, hey man, by the fifth day, I want to have five juzons. That's basically telling myself, all right, on the fifth day, you're going to read five juzons. You know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, right. So I, for me, it's it's not as much as the goal setting as much as it is, okay, let's say you have an overarching goal of finishing the Quran, right? I would say make a schedule and like treat it like a work meeting. Like I've never been late to a work meeting. I don't you know, show up unprepared for a work meeting, things like that. So if you treat it like a work meeting, like an appointment and just put it in your calendar along with, you know, all your other work meetings so that when you open your phone, you know, you see you've got 
okay, from one o'clock to two o'clock, I have to read Quran, you know? So I'd say setting a schedule is the biggest thing. And then the second thing is putting yourself in the environment of where your goals that you want to happen are going to happen. So in context of going to the gym, don't spend all day at McDonald's and then be like, well, at four o'clock, I'm going to go work out. It's not going to happen. And likewise, don't spend all day watching Netflix and then be like, well, at three, I'm going to read Quran for half an hour. You know what I mean? You're not going to turn off Tiger King to read Surat Al-Kahf. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Definitely. I think one of the things that I really like that my parents do, my mom's like super particular about trying to make the house as ready for Ramadan as possible. And so she's set up like this whole area in our basement. We have like a musallah kind of setup where inshallah we're going to do trawi and things. So having that environment that really reminds you of why you're here. And if you're able to, having that dedicated part of your house that is for prayer that's a really good motivator and actually improves your khushu'a a lot too, as well. And also to your earlier point about scheduling, I think now for those of us who are fortunate enough to be working from home, like you said, people might struggle with getting their salah in or something like that. Now you have a lot more flexibility in that. You might not feel as awkward or you might you might think to yourself, okay, like I can just go and, and pray. One of the things that I've found is sometimes you'll have like this like, 15 to 30 minute break between meetings and you know it's not enough for you to really get into your work let's say you need to need to do something that requires like a lot of concentration you can fill in those blocks with just like reciting quran or something and, and working towards your daily goal like you were talking about and i found that that's actually been super beneficial because now even though i'm at work for possibly even more hours than i was when i was uh in quarantine i have little gaps that are not actually work. They're, you know, time that I spend with my parents or time that I spend trying to recite Quran or whatever it is that I want to work on. Of course, a lot of it is probably just like watching YouTube videos, which I'll try to change during Ramadan. But, <laughs> yeah. That's admirable. Admirable of you. <laughs> YouTube videos of Islamic lectures, bro. I don't know what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Not, not uh, watching the latest uh, 50 Cent video or whatever. Not watching the latest Cody Co videos. <laughs> anyway, he's a famous YouTuber. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really admirable, the whole like getting the house prepped and things like that. And my mom's like super into it. She's always bringing, she's actually making decorations now. She's become a content creator, if you will. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. She's making decorations. So that's that's actually really exciting. It's a lot of very original decorations around the house. What kind of decorations are these? She makes uh, lanterns. She buys clear lanterns and then she has like a very specialized machine that laminates whatever calligraphy she wants on the side. So it'll say like, Ramadan Mubarak, La ilaha illallah, something like that. So that's, nice. that's, that's pretty sweet. That's awesome. So one question that I wanted to get your take on is for our listeners out there, what's one deed that you really want to focus on this Ramadan? It could be anything. It could be a prayer. It could be a Quran. This is the one thing that you really want to improve. What would that be? I think that it really starts with, with the Quran. So if you can get that into a habit, I think a lot of things can come from it. Just because Quran is the more time-consuming habit, it's the one that you can't really autopilot your way through. I mean, you know, Everyone has those like two surahs, the three surahs that they recite when they're like, all right, I got 
three minutes to get this prayer out and then have to go back to work. You can autopilot your way through a sunnah. But I mean, I think if you can, if you can read Quran and it like take the dedication it requires to stick with it, I think that a lot of good habits can come from that. And a lot of good habits will like follow a lot easier. So I think that that's, that's kind of like the, the biggest deed that I, or biggest habit that I want to, that I want to like foment during this Ramadan. How about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great habit that I think we should all to work towards. For me personally, I kind of characterize deeds as these tangible deeds and these intangibles. And the tangible ones, it's easy to focus on them and it's easy to actually measure how you're doing on them. Things like how much Quran am I reading? How many uh, how many sunnahs did I perform? Or how much taraweeh did I pray? Things like that. And I traditionally, I feel like I focused a lot, a lot on those because you know those are the easy ones and those are also very important. I think this Ramadan, it's the one deed for me is going to be somewhat more intangible and that's trying to be of service to my parents because... I don't know how many opportunities I'll get like this. And, you know, there's countless hadith about the rewards of taking care of your parents, especially in their old age. And I think this is one of the things that I was inspired by my sister because I I noticed like one night I was down at midnight and she was just cleaning the entire kitchen, making it spotless. And I was like, here's a deed that goes completely unnoticed. You don't really keep track of it even personally. You don't even give it much credit, but it's just something that you do. And I think the reward for that is tremendous, especially if you're doing it for the sake of taking care of your parents in, in their old age. So I really want to focus on that and try to balance that out with all of the other things that are competing for our time. Yeah, subhanAllah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, there's uh, the second the second most beloved thing, I think it was, it was like first was Salafi Waqtiha. Right, prayer right. on time, and then the second was bitter wedding. So, right, I think exactly. that's actually a really valuable point that kind of goes unnoticed or uncredited. You know, uncredited, largely... and it's also even hard to personally keep account of it, right? Yeah, unless you are actually very conscious about it. Yeah, it's something that you generally are just like, well, I'm like, yeah, I have to do what my parents tell me to do, and nobody really pays much attention to it. But I, I think that. It's definitely a point for improvement for a lot of people, you know, myself included. It's a good point. Thank you, bro. And Jazakallah khair for all the great points that you've brought up. I think it's a good time to end off our episode. Uh, we've had good coverage over all the different topics that we wanted to discuss today. Thank you again for a very delightful conversation. And I pray that, inshallah, our Ramadans are incredibly blessed and that we go into this year with the best of intentions and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts all of our du'as. Definitely give us your feedback. We very much appreciate that. Like, comment, subscribe to our non-existent YouTube channel. And uh, inshallah, <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Assalamu alaikum. Alright,